Hello and welcome to episode 45 of the Batflip Crazy Podcast, where you'll always find enthusiastic, data-driven fantasy baseball analysis and strategy. I am your host, Toby. Uh, Today, we are going to take a look at Luis Castillo, super intriguing uh, pitcher heading into 2019 after an awesome uh, rookie debut in 2017, and then a not-so-awesome, at least first half of 2018. We're going to take a look at uh, Met second baseman Jeff McNeil, and then we're going to take a look at Marcel uh, Ozuna's Relsh. Should be really fun. Again, thank you to uh, Stephen PSU78. Uh, he suggested Luis Castillo and Jeff McNeil. I also covered John Gray and Herman Marquez, who he suggested after leaving a rating and review for the podcast. Uh, and then Ozuna was suggested by at Mike Eckerd. It's at Mike and then E-C-K-A-R-D. He also suggested Michael Brantley and uh, Xander Bogarts, uh, as well as Jose Quintana. And so I will likely cover them uh, in the next uh, episode of the podcast. So thank you to both of you for leaving a five-star rating and a review. Uh, Greatly appreciate uh, that. Uh, Just wanted to touch briefly, uh, winter meetings wrapped up today, and there was a really... There is a big and surprising trade for me, um, and that uh, is uh, Carlos Santana went to the Indians from the Mariners. Uh, Edwin Encarnacion went from the Indians to the Mariners, which to me makes no sense whatsoever, and I'm very convinced that Jerry Depoto has no idea what he's doing. Um, and then Jake Bowers, a batflip crazy favorite, gets traded surprisingly, from the Rays to the Indians for Yandy Diaz. Now, folks who are familiar with Yandy Diaz, he is kind of a stat cast darling. He has a very high um, average exit velocity, um, particularly last year, I believe it was, but he also has a very low launch angle, a super low launch angle. I think it was like four degrees um, this year. And so I think the Rays are betting. I think number one, they probably, uh, somebody mentioned uh, Nathaniel Lau, I think is how you say it. Um, But, um, you know, they have some first base uh, prospects, some guys who might be able to come in for Bowers. Um, And so maybe there was a bigger need at third base with Yandy Diaz. Maybe they felt like they could get a little bit more loft in Diaz's swing and turn him into the guy that fantasy owners have been hoping for. I guess we will find out about that. But Jake Bowers is just a guy that I love. I love his profile. He's a young guy, 23, first baseman, uh, outfielder, has super good plate discipline, especially for a young guy just coming up his rookie season was very solidly in the mid-20s for his O-swing, so about 5% worse than league average. Um, He was actually hitting more fly balls in the majors than he had been uh, previously in the minors. His home run totals hadn't been uh, astronomical in the minors, but he was hitting more fly balls. He had a very solid hard hit rate, I think around 40% uh, for the overall season. And his, uh, his contact wasn't terrible. It was around 80% for his Z contact, but really that's the major step that he needed to take. And it's something that was in his minor league profile. Um, he, he only at one stop, and it was a short one, uh, AAA, I think 51 games, um, that he uh, had a, a 20% or above K rate. Uh, uh, for the rest of his seasons in the minors, he was under 20%. Uh, so you expect that contact rate maybe to improve um, as he adjusts to pitching and gets more comfortable. 
Um, just a guy I really, really, really liked. And I loved him on the Rays because I love the Rays. And the Indians is not a bad place for him to go, right? He may play outfield. He's probably going to play outfield there because I think Santana will be um, playing first base. Um, but, uh, you know, the one thing that I'm really, really hoping for for Bowers going to the Indians is that um, whether it's um, the, the training staff there, and, you know, I've obviously heard good things, especially around the pitching uh, for the Indians, but if they can get him to get out in front of the ball, um, similar to what uh, Francisco Lindor and Jose Ramirez has have done, um, you know, that could be really, really exciting. So I'm hoping that that happens with Jake Bowers. I'm wishing him best of luck with the Indians. I still believe um, in the profile. I still believe in him a lot. And I'm a little disappointed in the Rays uh, for giving up on him. I think Diaz will be interesting project um, for them to take on. Um, so that'll definitely be interesting. Carlos Santana on the Indians is obviously, uh, you know, solid, very strong OBP, a little bit worse of a, of a, playing situation, but he'll be familiar with the confines there uh, in Cleveland, and he's part of a really solid heart of the lineup, Um, and he could see those uh, RBI increase uh, a good deal batting behind um, Francisco Lindor and Jose Ramirez, and then Edwin Encarnacion to the Mariners really makes no sense to me um, at all. Santana was the big piece uh, coming back to the Mariners from getting rid of a good contract that they had in Gene Segura. And now they've traded for Edwin Encarnacion, who, um, you know, he's a he's a solid player, don't get me wrong, but the Mariners are not going to compete this year. They need to get prospects. They need to get younger guys that they can plug in. And so Encarnacion here is kind of like, okay. And then we also look at the DH. Um, Rob Silver had a tweet uh, earlier today that was really good that was just looking at kind of where the holes in DH are. And there are maybe three holes in DH um, in all of baseball. And there's five or six guys that are either available as free agents or who are trade, um, you know, who are being marketed on, uh, on the trade market, who can fill in at DH. And so there really isn't a strong market for a DH type. And so maybe DePoto is going to swing him. Maybe he has him stick around uh, the Mariners for the first part of the season. And as we get closer to the trade deadline, he tries to trade him for prospects. I'm not exactly sure what, um, you know, what he's planning to do DePoto uh, there, but it really just tells me that he doesn't necessarily um, have a plan. Um, yeah, he trades a bunch and that's interesting, but, um, I don't necessarily see a plan or a strategy. I see kind of a half-assed, uh, rebuild, which is not what the Mariners need. And as somebody who lives, uh, around where the Mariners play, um, you know, I would have really liked to see, um, a more of a commitment to a solid rebuild, bringing in younger guys, um, with, uh, with some upside. So we'll see, maybe he'll prove me wrong and, and uh, trade Encarnacion for some valuable parts. But, um, you know, that, uh, uh, that, that was disappointing, but Jake Bowers, hopefully, uh, I wish you good luck on the Indians. I think you're going to turn out to be a really great player and the Rays are going to be disappointed, um, uh, that they didn't hold on to you. Anyways, uh, also, uh, in addition to Luis Castillo, Jeff McNeil, and Marcel Ozuna, there's also a reach Charles on today's program, um, or program, Jesus, uh, podcast. Um, and that I'm going to call it the psychology of Babbitt regression. Um, and I had a really, um, good exchange with some folks on Twitter, just a really good thread going, um, uh, around Herman Marquez, John Gray, 
Babbitt, Coors Field, um, and I just uh, there's, there's this idea that I was playing around with with this psychology of Babbitt regression and how these guys who have really strong skills but um, have consistently high Babbitts, how you know because we are kind of um, uh, because most guys do regress, you know. Uh, on BABIP, when they have a really high BABIP and these guys have really strong skills, we've convinced ourselves that they're going to get better even though maybe the recent or the long history doesn't sh- doesn't support that. And so we stick for them longer and they end up hurting us more in terms of ratios. I'm thinking guys like Nick Pavetta, uh, Chris Archer, John Gray, um, maybe uh, Herman, uh, Domingo Herman to a lesser extent because he doesn't have as long of a sample to look at. But guys like that and how they're dangerous and that I would just uh, just hold off from investing in them at all. And even Luis Castillo may end up falling into this category. I think it's too early to tell for sure. Uh, anyways, um, as always, um, really appreciate you listening. Uh, if you do like what you're hearing, please do leave a five-star rating uh, and a review. Uh, when you do that, if you leave a five-star rating, you can choose one player. You know, Reach out to me on Twitter. Let me know one player that you'd like me to highlight on a future podcast. If you leave a rating and a review, um, I will. you can uh, select three players to be uh, highlighted on an upcoming podcast. Um, thanks to everybody who's been leaving ratings and reviews. It really does mean so much, not only to me because uh, you know I'm putting out this content and I'm really having a great time. Um, and I love building this, uh, you know, community around the podcast uh, that we're trying to build, um, but also because it helps uh, get it in front of other people. Uh, please do hit like, hit retweet, and keep sharing it. I really, really, really uh, appreciate when folks uh, do that. You can follow me on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy, Instagram at BatFlipCrazy, Facebook at BatFlipCrazyFantasy, uh, YouTube uh, BatFlipCrazy, the blog is BatFlipCrazy.com, Luis Castillo. Jeff McNeil, Marcel Ozuna, and the psychology of Babbitt regression. Let's get this party started. Today we are going to start off with Luis Castillo, starting pitcher for the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, Castillo had a very strong rookie season, shot up draft boards, he was getting drafted uh, Pretty high up there last year. Definitely a down year. First half of the season was poor. Improved over the second half of the season. Let's dive in and see uh, what maybe what might have happened. What we might expect for next year. Two early draft position of one seventeen point six, and his NFBC dra- uh, average draft position in nineteen uh, drafts now is one fifteen point three with a minimum pick of 90 and a max pick of 137. So you can see both the two early mock draft and the NFBC drafts kind of agree going around the 115 mark um, in drafts right now. Uh, As people dive in, you know, we'll see whether that starts to inch up. The skills are obviously uh, really solid for Castillo, but let's take a look under the hood. Uh, 169 and two-thirds innings pitch this year in 31 games started. 89.1 uh, and one-third innings pitched last year. Uh, so just uh, just about doubled or more than doubled um, last year's uh, production. Or actually not quite doubled. Sorry, my math is terrible. 10 wins, uh, two consecutive seasons of low win percentages. Obviously, the Reds are not a team 
Uh, you're going to go with, if you want wins, 16.4% K minus walk rate, 18.4% last year. His K rate dropped three point, or four points, 23.3%, so slightly above uh, league average last year, uh, down from 27.3% in 2017. Uh, strikeouts, 165 and that 169 in two-thirds innings. For a 8.75K per nine, that is down from close to 10 last year, even though his swinging strike rate was up uh, by about uh, 0.8%, uh, 13.5% swinging strike rate, so really solid there, uh, borderline elite, 12.7% last year. O contact went up about three points, but still well below league average. Uh, Z contact, 81.8%, very strong uh, there, about 4% below league average, and then his overall contact rate about 5%. Uh, 4.5% below league average. So the strikeout skills are are solid, uh, really across the board for Castillo. That's not necessarily that surprising. Um, one of the reasons why he may have that lower strikeout rate is that he did um, throw uh, his sinker this year, um, did not get a ton of swing and miss on it. So it was getting put in play a lot, and he increased the usage of that sinker as the year progressed. We'll take a little bit of a deeper look at that in the rolling averages graph. But that may be one of the reasons why we see that K rate lagging behind some of the underlying skills. Walk rate, 6.9%. This was a good development down uh, 2% from 8.9%. Uh, nicely below league average there. When we take a look at the control metric, 61.4% first pitch strike. So slightly better than league average, but a nice little 4% improvement over last year, which is good to see. At the same time, his O swing also went up uh, by about uh, 3.5% uh, from 29.2% last year to 32.9% this year, which is 2% above league average. So really nice there. His zone percentage was down still above league average though, so not a concern. So nice to see um, some improvement in those control metrics. Initially with during his first season, that was definitely a question mark. Um, around Castillo, but it's nice to see him making some positive movements in that direction. By the end of the season, his whip wasn't too bad. Uh, 1.22 whip uh, for the full season, so not necessarily at his 1.07 that he had in 2017, but the 1.22 is not going to hurt you too bad. Babbitt, 282 uh, this year after 247 in his rookie season. Uh, from an expected batting average perspective, in both years, he has outperformed his expected BABIP by over 20 points. So this year, 282 BABIP on a 304 expected BABIP. Last year, 247 BABIP on a 275 expected BABIP. So uh, outperforming those numbers consistently so far, whether or not that will continue um, is a, you know, is, is certainly a question mark. Um, you know, he hasn't shown, he's done it in the two seasons, so we don't have anything to work off. Maybe there's something um, in his approach or batted balls that is the result, is resulting in that type of an underperformance. But it's just something to note because if that Babbitt goes up, uh, he's going to be uh, in trouble. Uh, soft hit rate, 19.4%. Uh, so better than league average, but down from 22.1% last year. Hard hit rate jumped uh, 9% to 38.5%, which is worse than league average. It was at 29.7% last year. And then his ground ball rate, and I think this is a really key piece. 
uh, dropped from 58.8% last year, which is, which is elite, to 45.9% this year, which is still better than league average. But one thing that's really important, I think, with ground ball pitchers overall is um, I think... I think, you know, it depends on the pitcher, obviously, but we've seen that a lot of pitchers with really good fastballs can actually be effective being flyball pitchers. I'm thinking like Justin Verlander, uh, Garrett Cole. Obviously, those are the elite guys, but it but it certainly works um, having an elite low uh, flyball percentage as long as you don't give up too many home runs because it keeps the BABIP down. Uh, it keeps the the strand rate high. Um, and so those are some of the things that I think are are good about being a fly ball pitcher. Obviously, home runs be in the negative. Uh, but, you know, when you're right around league average and you're not an elite ground ball pitcher, um, it's not that beneficial, right? Having a slightly above league average ground ball rate isn't that great because generally speaking, you know, that's going to mean that you're not generating a ton of really poor uh, ground balls, right? You're probably going to be around league average where oftentimes you see these elite guys, the Dallas Keuchel's. I mean, there's very few of them, but they're generating, you know, uh, close to 60% ground ball rates. And with that 60% ground ball rate, a significant portion of those are just really poorly batted balls. Um, a lot of times a guy with a league average uh, ground ball rate, and this hasn't been the case for Castillo, so maybe it's a bad example to use, but generally, you know, they can have some Babbitt issues because ground balls, um, you know, are more likely to be hit than fly balls are necessarily. So just something to think about. That's a huge dip, and he's gone from an elite ground ball pitcher to just kind of a regular pitcher with a slight tilt to ground balls. Uh, Woba, 314 last year, 320 expected Woba, so right around to slightly below uh, league average for a fantasy starter. His ERA is where really where he hurt you last year, um, 4.3 ERA after 312 in his rookie season. Uh, the FIP lines up well, 4.32, uh, but his XFIP and his Sierra uh, like the ERA a little bit more, 369 and 385. So that's something to be aware of. Um, his uh, home run per fly ball rate um, is very high, but it's also very high for the second consecutive year. So again, something that's important to consider. 28 home runs or his strand rate, let's cover his strand rate first, 71.2%, so slightly below league average. Um, that's a little surprising given that he has a higher than league average strikeout rate. You know, he's not giving up, uh, his BABIP isn't too high. Um, it may just be that he gave up a lot of home runs with runners on base, so you never know. But that 71.2% is after 80.1% last year. 28 home runs given up this year on 25.7 expected home runs. 11 last year on 9.2 expected home runs. So, you know, slightly doing slightly worse than expected home runs, but it's still a lot. Uh, you can see that his home run for fly ball rate has been uh, 17, it was 17.9% this year, 17.2% last year, so very high. Expected home run per fly ball rate, 16.5% this year, 14.4 last year. Again, 12.7 is around league average for 20. Uh, uh, for 2018. And so that's, um, you know, that's a, that's a concern, right? Fly balls are a problem for him. Home runs um, are a problem for him. And we see that with the 1.49 home runs per nine, even in his really good rookie season, a 1.11 home run per nine, 1.16 is average this year. It was obviously higher um, when the ball was juiced. Um, 
Taking a look at barrels up significantly, 6.1% barrels per plate appearance. That is bad. 2.2% last year. Home run distance about uh, the same. Let's take a look at the detailed ballad ball profile to get a sense of what um, happened with our buddy Castillo. And I will warn you, it is not good. Uh, so let's just start with the dribbler percentage. I mentioned how his ground ball rate was at 58.8% last year. He had a dribbler percentage of 32.3%, which is about 8% above league average. Remember, these dribblers have a BABIP right around 100. And so they're not extra base hits, they're not dangerous at all, and they very rarely are hits. So that is an elite total, and if somebody has that for a full season, it is golden. Now that dropped 5.3%. He still had a higher than league average dribbler percentage at 27%, uh, but again, not that super elite 32.3%. Um, his ground ball uh, percentage, so this is the high Babbitt ground balls, uh, decreased by about 5.5%. Um, uh, his line drive rate shot up, though, so giving up more balls in the air. It went up from 9.7%, which is super low, to 14.5%. Still better than league average at 16.6%, but again, in terms of his profile, uh, that's an increase in balls hit in the air with super high Babbitt's. Now this is the real concerning part. His hard drive rate jumped from 8% uh, last year, uh, which is uh, very good, 10.8% is league average, all the way up to 13.9%, so much worse than league average, 3.1% worse than league average, and those are your extra base hits, your home runs, your really dangerous uh, batted balls, so that is a concern. Fly ball percent uh, went up slightly and his pop-up percent dropped by about 1%, but combined those are pretty similar. Uh, when we look at his uh, value hit percentage and his poor hit percentage, um, his poor hit percentage actually was better this year, 25.3% compared to 24.2%. And again, this is based on xstats.org and looking at launch angle and exit velocity. Uh, both vertical launch angle and horizontal launch angle and exit velocity of the hits. And then it categorizes poor hits are the ones that are very likely to uh, be outs. And then value hits are kind of like the equivalent of barrels, but it includes a few more uh, types of batted balls. Uh, value hits, 9.6%. So better than league average. That's after being at 5.3% last year. So we can see in the detailed batted ball profile, you know, a lot of the concerns... Um, for Castillo were um, due to batted ball issues, giving up um, a higher than league average number of hard drives and uh, so extra base hits and home runs and then you know cutting away a little bit from some of these dri this uh, dribbler percentage um, uh, that he had previously. So um, some not great um, uh, trends last year overall in the profile. Uh, and the result was his expected BABIP jump from 275 uh, up to 304. His expected batting average on contact went from 302 to 339. So again, a significant jump there uh, in terms of the quality of batted ball hitters were getting off of him. Let's take a look at his, um, his repertoire. Um, one of the major issues for... Uh, Castillo last year was the velocity on his four-seam fastball. It was down over the course of the season, on average, 1.3 ticks. It was down about two ticks for, um, you know, two miles per hour 
at the beginning of the season and the velocity slowly increased all the way back up to around 97 uh, to 97.4 mile per hour, depending on whether you're looking at Brooks baseball or you're looking at fan graphs. Either way, the increase in velocity is nice and uh, undoubtedly is one of the reasons why he improved as the season progressed. We also saw the swinging strike rate on his four-seam fastball increased um, with a high around 9.2%, I think, in September um, of last year. So that is something that um, you know is going to be important to monitor during spring training reports. Jeff Zimmerman, um, who is a great uh, follow, obviously. Uh, I hope you can't hear the crying baby in the background. If you can, I apologize. I hope you can deal uh, with crying babies. That's my two-year-old son who has just woken up uh, while after being uh, asleep uh, for about three hours. So hopefully uh, he goes back to sleep. Let's hope that happens. Uh, again, for, so forcing fastball velocity, Jeff Zimmerman puts out um, a list of spring training uh, velocities, and it's one of the few really meaningful things that we can garner um, from spring training along with some launch angle stuff. And so be on the lookout early on in spring training to see where his velocity is at. Is it in the you know, 95, 96 mile per hour range, or is he getting up there in the 97 mile per hour range? That's obviously going to have a significant impact. Uh, his forcing fastball has not been good both years. 130 WRC plus last year, 369 Woba. This year it was 144 with a 379 Woba. Uh, the changeup is his uh, awesome pitch. Uh, this year, 56 WRC plus 239 Woba after 18 and a 185. Um, last year, when we get to the skills on that pitch, they are nasty. Sinker, again, an issue with fastballs, 135 WRC+, plus, 360 Woba. One of the major differences between this year and last year was the effectiveness of that sinker. Last year, I had a W99 uh, WRC+, plus with a 311 Woba. This year, 135 and 360. So a major regression in terms of the effectiveness of that pitch. The slider is a really nice second um, uh, off-speed slash breaking ball that he can go to. Uh, 81 WRC plus with a 277 uh, Woba on that one last year. When we delve into the uh, play discipline metrics, uh, you can probably definitely hear that baby crying um, right now. So we'll see. I'll listen to the audio, but um, I apologize for uh, that baby uh, crying. 25.9% swinging strike rate on that changeup. That is something that if my son's crying right now, he should be happy looking at that swinging strike rate on that changeup. The O swing on that pitch, 52.8%. There are very few pitches in baseball uh, that can have a 50% plus uh, chase rate along with a 25% plus uh, swinging strike rate. Not surprisingly, that was a positive pitch, 1.3 positive pitch value uh, per 100 thrown. Not surprisingly, the foreign seam fastball was a negative pitch, negative 0.7 pitch value per 100 thrown, 7.9% swinging strike rate, so not anything special. And the O swing was very low, 16.6%. Um, so that is um, something that is very... Um, you know, that's not good. And that's going to lower his overall O swing rate pretty considerably. Uh, the sinker fit 5.8%, um, swinging strike rate, 27.1% O swing. That O swing is actually down about 5% from last year on the sinker. Um, so that is concerning. He did make up for that and increased his O swing overall because he threw that change up so much 
um, and it has such a high uh, O swing. The slider, 16.2% uh, swinging strike rate, solid, 32.9% uh, O swing, 0.1 positive pitch value per 100 thrown. So, you know, if you were able to figure out the fastball, um, that would be uh, really significant because he's got that great knockout pitch in the changeup. I um, mean, he's got a slider that is effective as well. So he's got a pitch to throw to lefties um, and a pitch to throw uh, to righties. But, you know, the fastball is going to be, you know, the major area of concern. And really, I think when we get to it, it's really about uh, the velocity um, and whether he can have elite velocity like that 97 mile per hour plus velocity that he had in 2017 or, you know, the kind of 95 to 96. It's still pretty fast, but it's obviously not uh, that effective right now as a big league pitch. Let's take a uh, peek at his 10-game rolling averages. Now, one thing that's nice about Castillo is the skills are nice. Even when he was performing poorly, uh, the skills were really solid um, underlying that. Uh, finished over his last 10 games with a 12.5% swinging strike rate. So down slightly, and I think that's because he was throwing the sinker more often, and we'll get to that in a second. Uh, it peaked uh, at 16.2% for that swinging strike rate uh, early on uh, in the season, in early May. Again, he was getting crushed. Uh, at that point in time, but the swinging strike rate was high. The O swing also consistently above uh, the two-year trend line uh, for pretty much the whole season, finished his last 10 games at 33.7%. Really solid figure there. Throwing the ball in the zone, uh, an increasing amount of, uh, uh, which is nice, you know, he's throwing a ton of strikes, but again, we also um, don't want him to get into the zone too much. First pitch strike also um, well above 60% for the whole uh, second half with topping out at 68.6% .6 um, in the 10 games leading up to August 19th and then finishing the season around 64.3%. So that's really uh, nice there. Hopefully uh, Castillo is able to maintain um, getting ahead of hitters because when he can go to that change up, um, you know, that, that pitch is just filthy. Uh, and in the Z contact, the in zone contact, a really good metric you know that I like to look at because it tells you if a guy can throw the ball in the zone um, and folks aren't able to make contact with it then something uh, right is happening uh, very consistently low throughout the year 81.81 percent over his last 10 games um, towards the end of the season uh, it got all the way down to 75.9 percent um, in June but again he was getting hit really hard so you can you know we we've seen from a number of guys that you can have the strikeout skills right the swinging strike rate um, in particular the Z contact can be low um, but you know if you if you don't have a fastball um, and and guys can can crush it then it becomes a major issue uh, you see that with guys like Pavetta um, you see those with guys like Archer um, if they don't have enough good pitches or if that fastball is just isn't good enough, then um, it's problematic. Um, so that uh, overall, though, you know, the skills are pretty solid uh, for um, Castillo. Castillo is a guy. Um, let's take a look at some of the pitchers um, going around Castillo uh, in drafts right now. So he's at 115 with his ADP um, above him. Robbie Ray, Charlie Morton. Uh, Kyle Freeland, uh, in terms of starters, Zach Wheeler. Behind him, Carlos Martinez, Kyle Hendricks, Chris Archer, speak of the devil, um, Masahiro Tanaka um, as well. You know, when I look at some of these pitchers, I think I think 115 is an okay place to take, take a risk at, 
on Castillo. Um, again, I think a lot of it is going to depend on that velocity. He's just been a very different pitcher um, when he's able to um, uh, to throw the ball hard. Um, and that's not necessarily you know surprising at all, but um, you can really tell the difference um, when he when he's throwing at ninety seven plus versus when he's ninety five uh, ninety six. Um, one thing I just wanted to take a look at before we hop into that is, um, you know, he's throwing the sinker at last 10 games of the season, 22.5% of pitches um, compared to the four-seam fastball, which he was throwing um, at 29.2% of pitches, but that was the lowest um, number of pitches uh, being thrown um, that were four-seam fastballs over the course of the entire season at 29.2%. So it seems like he was making a conscious effort to throw that pitch um, less, the only problem being that the sinker uh, is not a good pitch either. Uh, so, you know, I just wanted to check that out um, uh, to see uh, what was happening there. Uh, thinking about Castillo, uh, you know, it's tough. Um, you know, I probably take Castillo over Ray because I think they have similar um, similar strikeout. Uh, upside Ray's obviously a little bit higher. We've seen it be better um, than Castillo's has been uh, before. Um, but, you know, I think Castillo has better control metrics, and so that helps him out. I don't think the Diamondbacks are going to be very good um, this year since they're in a little bit of a rebuilding phase. And so I don't think there's necessarily a huge discrepancy in wins there either. I'd probably go Charlie Morton over Castillo just because I've seen uh, Morton be effective. I think going over the Rays is really nice. Uh, he's going to be um, used well there. I trust the Rays. I think uh, they won't leave him too long in games. He was really hurt towards the end of games when he was left in uh, for too many pitches. He's not going to get you a ton of innings, but um, I probably like him a little bit more than Castillo right now. Freeland is definitely a fade. Wheeler I definitely like more. Um, Carlos Martinez, I actually think that he's a pretty good comp uh, to Castillo. They both might have some some whip issues uh, with a little bit of K upside, um, you know, but uh, throwing, throwing a decent number of sinkers to keep that K rate from being uh, elite. I like Hendricks more. Um, Kyle Hendricks at 127, I'm going to be all over uh, next year. The thing about Hendricks is, I mean, say what you will, the, the velocity isn't there. But even last year when he had a rough season, you know, the ratios were helpful. 3-4-3, three, three, I think, a 1-1 one, one something whip. Um, so really solid. So I like him more than Castillo. Definitely don't like, I definitely like Castillo more than Archer. I think we've seen what Archer can do and it's not good and it's going to hurt you. Uh, Tanaka, you know, I would probably go Tanaka over Castillo just based on the wins. I think the ERA will be similar, but Tanaka walks very few batters and he always has a really solid whip. He'll probably strike out uh, some more dudes too. So that's just, you know, something kind of to think about with Castillo. So I think he's going right around the right area. He's not a guy that I'm going to be, you know, overwhelmingly targeting uh, this year unless I see something in his velocity in spring training. You know, if he's pumping it up there at 97, you know, even 96 uh, early in spring training, you know, then that's going to pique my attention a little bit. But right now, uh, you know, he's a guy, you know, maybe an SP3 uh, on a team, um, you know, and, and obviously with a, with pretty high upside, but also, uh, you know, we've seen the low floor. 
and hopefully that fastball will be better, but I think that's the key uh, to understanding how he's going to perform uh, into uh, 2019. Next up, we have Jeff, Jeff McNeil, uh, Mets second baseman, uh, rookie last year. He probably... Uh, actually, no, I don't think he has rookie eligibility this year. Anyways, that doesn't matter for fantasy value. So who cares? Uh, second base, uh, 194.9 uh, a- uh, average draft position in the two early mock drafts. He's up to 186.8 with a minimum pick of 143, um, a max pick of 236 in the 19 NFBC um, drafts. Uh, McNeil, the one thing to note with McNeil is with the acquisition of Robbie Cano uh, this offseason, McNeil will probably get plenty of at-bats, but he may be more of a utility guy um, than uh, a regular starter. Uh, the Mets obviously have Todd Frazier at third base. They have Ahmed Rosario uh, at shortstop. They have Robbie Cano at second base, and they've indicated they're going to give Peter Alonso potentially a run at first base. So McNeil may just be shuffled around a little bit to get himself playing time, but something to consider, you know, especially if you're considering him in the top 200 of ADP, obviously skills uh, win out in the end, uh, but, um, you know, uh, getting an opportunity is important. Last year, 63 games, 248 uh, played appearances. He hit 329, but that 329 batting average did come on a 296 expected average. So really solid um, expected average even, but you know the average is a little bit uh, misleading and not something I think you should expect to continue. Uh, 359 BABIP, so that BABIP was very high. He only walked 9.7% of the time. Again, his best skill is contact rate. And so he's going to keep that K percentage high or keep that K percentage low. He's going to put a lot of balls in play. And as a result, his batting average will likely be high. Contact rate, 85.3% overall, 8% better than league average. In zone contact at 91.5%, 6% better than league average. His contact is very good. 381 OBP, again, that's being really anchored uh, by that high batting average. When you take into account his expected batting average, that OBP stout falls to 351. Still good, and I think you can expect him to have at least a decent um, OBP because the batting average is going to be high and the patient skills are not atrocious. Um, so, you know, not not necessarily a boon like he is in average leagues and OBP leagues, but just something to note about him. 33.6% O-swing, so uh, a little bit worse than league average. He is pretty aggressive in terms of swinging not at 9% uh, higher than league average at 55.8%. Not surprisingly, his walk rate is low at 5.6%. He scored 35 runs last year on 14.1% runs per plate appearance, 13.1% being um, league average. You know, that 381 OBP definitely supports that 14.1% runs per plate appearance. Again, I'd expect that to fall, and we're not quite sure where McNeil is going to hit in the lineup, um, you know, whether that'll be up at the top, um, you know, which isn't necessarily a bad idea, but they have Brandon Nimmo there. Um, you know, they're going to have Robbie Cano, I think, batting third, maybe Conforto batting second, so he may be towards the uh, back end of the lineup, which would not be good in terms of his runs. Home runs, three on 4.1 expected home runs, uh, but well below league average power, 1.2% home runs per plate appearance, 3.6 is league average, so one-third the power uh, of your normal uh, Major League Baseball player. Uh, 
ISO 142, hard hit rate 30.2%, about 5% worse than league average. Uh, His ground ball rate is below league average, 38.7%. His home run per five ball is putrid, 3.8%. You don't see him that low very often. His expected home run per fly ball at 5.2%, but still well below league average. Hard hit fly ball rate right around league average at 36.7%. He does not pull a lot of his hard hit fly balls, 20.7% compared to 32.6% for league average. That is going to be a, a major dent in terms of his um, his power because a guy like him who is not uh, particularly powerful or has not shown that type of power would rely more heavily on the bat, bat control, maybe get out in front of pitches, uh, pull the fly balls down the line. He is not doing that, so just important to note it. Five barrels for a 2% barrels per plate appearance, not good. 391 average home run distance. He only had 19 RBI last year, 77 percent RBI per plate appearance. If he bats uh, further back in the lineup when he plays this year, that RBI percentage will probably go up and the run percentage will fall. So just something uh, that's, you know, to keep in the back of your mind, not necessarily a reason you're grabbing him or not. 368 WOBA, 331 expected WOBA. So again, a very big discrepancy between the expected stats and his regular stats because of that difference in batting average. Seven stolen bases, 2.8% stolen base per plate appearance, so almost double the league average. Uh, He attempted a stolen base on 6.5% of his stolen base opportunities at an 87.5% stolen base success rate. Um, So that is better than league average in terms of his SBO percentage, uh, which is nice to see. And he's slightly faster than league average at um, 27.8 feet per second. Uh, So overall, from a speed perspective, that's solid. When we take a look at the six categories, he's going to contribute in average. He's going to contribute, but a little bit less in OBP. The runs, and I think the RBI will be really dependent on where he draw, where he bats in the lineup. If he does bat at the top of the lineup with his OBP slash average, I would expect him to score a decent number of runs. The power is very is lacking. You know, maybe double digit home runs in a full season, um, but you know nothing, nothing particularly special. And then with the stolen bases, I think definitely double digits uh, in a full season. Um, in a half season, a little less than half season, he put up the seven and he was successful doing it. So um, overall, you know, decent, uh, decent person. Uh, well, not, I don't know about person, but decent fantasy commodity. Uh, Jeff McNeil, detailed batted ball profile. Uh, pop-up rate was a little too high, 20%, so 2% above league average. Fly ball percentage right around league average. Hard drive percentage well below league average by 3.5%. So again, not much power. Not surprisingly, though, the line drive rate, 3% higher than league average. Ground ball rate, a little bit below league average. And then the dribbler percentage around league average, too. So really, you know, his bread and butter, what keeps his um, batting average uh, sustained uh, is that, you know, those line drives, really. Um, You know, those high BABIP uh, line drives, and that's so that's just one uh, important thing to note with him when we take a look at his 10 game rolling average graphs again very very um, or 40 game rolling average graph sorry uh very very consistent um contact 91.1 percent over his last 40 games uh, but that hard hit rate just nose diving to 27.2 percent his o swing did improve down to 33 percent over his last 40 games but again worse than league average and then his ground ball rate at 38.3 
uh, percent. Let's take a look at a little bit of a smaller rolling average just because he didn't play that often. Yep, again, very consistent um, Z contact overall. Ugh, that hard hit rate is disgusting. 21.3%, so very low. It's not like he's a guy who's going to be reliant on a high hard hit rate uh, to be successful, but you do like to see a little bit better uh, quality of contact from him. Uh, his ground ball rate down at 33.3%, matching his O swing over that period in time. Let's take a look at the fly ball rate, how much of that is fly ball and how much of that is line drives. So 44.4% fly ball rate. I don't want to see that from him, if I'm honest. Um, you know, I would like to see him have a lower fly ball rate because they're not going to be home runs. They're going to get him a really low batting average. Um, and, you know, that could be problematic when you're looking at snagging him because you want uh, that high batting average. Um, that's really the, the biggest commodity that he brings you along with a little bit uh, of speed. Um, let's take a look at the line drive rate. Um, yeah, so high for most of the time. Again, line drives tend to fluctuate, have a significant amount of variance, but he's you know above 20% for the vast majority of the year. Let's take a look at where else folks are going um, at second base uh, for McNeil, uh, close to McNeil. Um, so at 186.8 ADP, other second baseman going around him, one uh, above him, 180, uh, 181 for Cesar Hernandez, 163 for Daniel Murphy, 156 for Dozier, 154 Yoan Moncada, even Robinson Cano at 139. Uh, be- behind him, Joey Wendell at 205, Jonathan Scope at 210, Lourdes Gurriel 223, Marwin Gonzalez. 227. DJ LeMahieu um, at 227 as well. I actually think LeMahieu is a really good comp. I mean, DJ LeMahieu, yes, he is somewhat a product of Coors, but he's never relied on, on power necessarily. He's a high line drive hitter, high contact guy who has hit for very high batting averages, and I would expect him to be able to continue um, to do that outside of Coors. And so a guy like him going uh, 40 picks after McNeil. Um, I like him more. He actually has more power. Um, he will steal some bases, probably not as many as Nick McNeil, um, but I do think uh, that overall I would be more reliant on him. A lot of, um, you know, even looking back at uh, 239 at Kettle uh, uh, Marte, you know, I would like him probably more than McNeil. He's going to get playing time in Arizona. Again, another high contact. Uh, guy, but he's shown a little bit more power too uh, than McNeil. He hasn't stolen a ton of bases, Marte, but he is pretty quick, so that's always a possibility. And then Jed Lowry at t- 282, right? It depends on where he ends up, but you can see that, you know, I'm not going to reach for a guy like McNeil at 187, I don't think, especially with questions around playing time, um, when I can wait. Um, and get guys like that, even guys like that with similar uh, skill sets. Adam Frazier at 360, a guy that I'm going to be all over um, heading into drafts next year, especially if he's batting leadoff for the Pittsburgh Pirates. So you can just see like a guy um, like McNeil, I'm just not going to go there. I mean, I like Hernandez more. I like Murphy more. I like Dozier more. I like Moncada more. That's not necessarily surprising, but they're going higher than him. But like, I just think about, um, you know, let's look at other middle infielders going around where McNeil's going. Garrett Hampson, you know, of Colorado, who, 
you know, I don't know how he's going to do batting, but he's got, again, a pretty decent contact approach, pretty good plate discipline, and the dude's fast, fast, fast. He's one of the fastest runners in baseball. He's going to steal a ton of bases probably. He has shortstop eligibility right now, but he's probably going to add second base eligibility uh, to that too. Uh, Jorge Polanco, a guy that I'm going to like a ton more too, similar profile. Paul DeYoung, a dude who could hit 30 home runs next year and is only at 198 because he was injured for half of the season. Marcus Semien at 200, Willie Adamas at 201. I'll stop there, but McNeil's going way too high for me. Uh, There are guys that have a pretty similar approach. Don't be fooled by the 326 batting average. Yes, he'll have a good batting average, but the the batted ball profile is not that strong. And I think it, it looks like there's a decent amount of luck from what X stats is telling us. So I'm fading Jeff McNeil, particularly at his current price. If you can get him further down, you know, closer to his max pick of 236, you know, then that may be more reasonable. Uh, But there's a lot of guys going after him in terms of middle infielders and even second basemen that I'd rather wait and pick them up then. And we've got a little bit more of a track record to go on and they have guaranteed playing time. So that is Jeff McNeil, a dude who I think is being a little bit Uh, overrated uh, heading into 2019. Next up, we have Marcel Ozuna, outfielder for the St. Louis Cardinals. Um, Ozuna struggled uh, to get uh, um, starting last year, and overall, he didn't really uh, come through with the season that Cardinals fans were hoping after a monster uh, 2017. And I think the 2017 year is kind of a situation where everything that went right Uh, did go right uh, for Ozuna, and so I wouldn't expect him to replicate that. But I do think there's some really um, intriguing aspects of his profile that that I was pleasantly surprised with. So let's dig in. Uh, 10 too early mock drafts, an average draft position of uh, 72.8, down to 69.4 in the 19 uh, uh, NFBC drafts with a low pick of 59, a high pick of 98. Uh, Ozuna has three consecutive years of at least 148 games played and 600 plate appearances, 628 this past year. He hit 280 this year, but that came on a 292 expected batting average. Um, it was actually really nice to see that. I mean, the 280 batting average is solid, um, but seeing the 292 this year um, is really nice. He hit 312 in 2017, but that came on a 296 um, expected average. And when he hit 266 in 2016, it came on a 287 expected average. So over the last three years, he's got a 287, a 296, and a 292 uh, expected batting average. That makes me feel comfortable um, with him as a high batting average guy around 290. And that's actually something that I wasn't necessarily anticipating before digging into his profile. So that's really nice to see. Um, we talk about I talked about 2017, everything going right. That happened with his Babbitt, 355 Babbitt in 2017, 309 this past year, and 296 the year before that. Um, Seems much more uh, reasonable and what you should expect from Ozuna. Uh, The thing that I really liked about him is 2017, he actually had a 21.2% K rate. That's his highest uh, of the last three years. This year, 17.5% strikeout rate, so about 5% below league average. That's really nice for both the batting average um, well, mostly for the batting average. Um, it's just really uh, nice. I did not anticipate um, seeing him. I feel like I've seen him strike out so much. 
uh, but he's well below league average, which is nice. Contact rate is right around league average, but his in-zone contact is about 1% better than league average. So it may be that we see that strikeout rate creep up a little bit closer to the 19% that he was at in 2016. Um, but I, I think the 21.2% may be um, a little bit uh, high for him. He had his lowest Z contact rate that year at 83.1% and his lowest contact rate as well. So nice to see that bounce back up. Um, his OBP was only 325 this year. He's not a guy who, um, he's not a big OBP guy. Um, his plate discipline is worse than league average, 33.4% um, O-swing, 32.9, 32.3. Uh, so consistently in that kind of mid-32 to mid-33 range, uh, 2 to 3% above league average. Um, so OBP, he's right around league average, and that's about um, it for Ozuna. His walk rate dropped to 6.1%. He only scored 69 uh, runs um, this year. That uh, was obviously that's obviously a little disappointing. And with the OBP just being around league average, um, and him kind of batting towards the middle slash back end of that lineup, um, you know, I don't necessarily see that number jumping up too much. But the 11% runs per plate appearance was the lowest um, that he's had um, in the last three years. And so maybe see that jump up slightly and get back into the 70s um, in terms of runs scored this year if he remains healthy. Uh, home runs, uh, 2017, again, looking a little bit like an aberration. 37 home runs that year with 33.8 expected home runs. He's consistently in the low home uh, low 20s uh, the, uh, in 2016 and 2017. 23 home runs both years with 22.4 and 23.9 expected home runs. So again, for folks who are expecting him to hit 30 jacks, um, that, that may not be happening. But there is some possibility, and I'll get to that in a very quick second, um, for why that power might increase. And it has to do with volume. Uh, but in two of the last three years, right around league average in terms of his home runs per plate appearances, that 2017 juiced ball year, 5.4%. Uh, percent. Hard hit rate was a three-year high, 45.2%. Now, we know that a hard hit rate overall jumped, jumped in Major, Major League Baseball, but his was up 6%, and it was just up about 4% over across baseball. So really nice to see that. That is an elite number there, that 45.2%, 10% better than the league average. <clears throat> uh, the problem with Ozuna is the ground ball rate, 47.1% the last two years, so worse than league average. He does not hit a ton of fly balls which is super disappointing. 14.1% um, uh, home run per fly ball rate in 2016, 13.9% this year. So right around 14% fat home run per fly ball, 23.4% in 2017. Again, that looks like the aberration instead of what we should necessarily expect for him. Um, hard hit uh, fly ball rate, very consistent. 43.6, 41.8, 42.2, all better than league average. His hard hit pulled fly ball rate this year actually was his lowest, 31.4% after two years of 42.4 and 42.3%. So maybe that's an area where we could see potentially that hard hit pulled, pulled fly ball rate um, uh, regressing up. Again, the year-to-year -year correlation, and I talked about this uh, uh, either last podcast or the podcast. Before then, Alex Chamberlain ran some uh, R-squareds and hard hit pulled fly ball rate um, did not necessarily have a super strong year-to-year -year correlation, but he's pretty consistently there um, in the low 42. So maybe it's a skill for him, and we hope it's one that does return. 
I was very surprised, and pleasantly so, to see that he had a 7.3% barrels per plate appearance this last year, a three-year high after 6.5% and 5.8%. So he's making really good contact. Again, he had a little bit of a down year last year, but you know, all in all, the skills were remarkably consistent year to year. I mean, remarkably consistent. He has one of the most consistent profiles I have I have seen um, so far this year. And that's always a good thing for fantasy owners to know uh, what you're getting. Average home run distance is far, 406, 413, 415. So that's really nice as well. So I think, um, you know, uh, his stolen bases are pretty much non-existent, 0, 1, and 3. He's not really a threat not good stolen base success rates overall, although 100% last year with those three stolen bases um, does not attempt a lot of stolen bases. His sprint speed, though, is above league average, 27.8 the last two years. Um, you know, so that's something. The thing that I like about Ozuna is that I do think that you can count on him for like three and a half categories. I think he's going to give you solid batting average around 290. Um, I think the runs, you know, I think... You could see them in the 60s again. I think you're more likely to see them in uh, the 70s, um, potentially getting up into the 80s if he has a nice, um, uh, you know, a a better year. I think that range is going to be 70s to 80s. Um, I think the power is decent, you know, 25 home runs. I think the RBI are going to be pretty nice. He had 88 last year at 14% RBI per plate appearance. Um, but you know, with Paul Goldschmidt coming into the lineup, I'm assuming that Ozuna is going to get bumped back. Uh, he'll probably bat cleanup or fifth, and I think there's going to be a lot of RBI opportunities for him. You know, you're going to have uh, Matt Carpenter in there. You're going to have Goldschmidt ahead of him, some high OBP guys, and so I think that will bode well um, for Ozuna. So you're looking at a guy who's going to contribute in batting average. He's going to contribute. A decent amount in home runs and RBI. He's not going to contribute in stolen bases, so that's just something you need to think about with team construction. But he's certainly not going to hit hurt you um, with runs. Let's take a look at his detailed batted ball profile um, uh, via xStats. Uh, so a low pop up rate, fifteen point seven percent this year, fifteen point nine percent last year. Fly ball rate up slightly, but still below league average. Hard drive rate above league average for three consecutive years. this year after 13.4% last year. So not elite by any stretch of the imagination, but better than league average. Right around league average uh, for line drives the last two years. Um, Higher than league average ground balls, um, you know, and that's really the high Babbitt ground balls is where he's he's got kind of a disproportionate uh, number of those batted balls happening. And his dribbler percentage was down this year, which is nice at 22%. When we look at overall poor hit versus um, value hit, uh, 23.6% poor hit last year, 28.2% this year. So again, those 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 ground balls, um, you know, not uh, not necessarily, um, you know, we want to see him hit the ball in the air more. Uh, but his value hit percentage is pretty steady at 11.5 and 11%, 9% is league average. So that's really nice. Um, uh, to see, and then he's got those high expected BABIPs, 341, 322 the last two years. Expected bacon, battering average on contact, 386 and 356. So uh, nice there uh, as well. Um, so good, a good little view there. Uh, for Ozuna, his rolling averages, the thing that kind of stands out for him, uh, number one is uh, the Z contact. Uh, his It's above his three-year average for most of, if not all of, well, not all of, but pretty much 
you know, the bat 90% of 2018. So that's really nice to see again for the batting average. Uh, the ground ball rate too high. It spiked at about 55.6% in uh, early June, although it was down at you know 43.6%, so about the average towards the end of the season. Hopefully that's a trend that continues. Would love to see him you know, hitting around 40% fly balls. The hard hit rate, high throughout the year, finishing at 46.6%, which is really nice. And then a pretty consistent O swing right around league average. He even had a period of time where that was better than league average. So uh, that is nice to see including um, a 27.8% 40-game rolling average, which is uh, his best 40-game um, stretch of his career. Um, so overall, I think, um, you know, Ozuna is going to definitely contribute in three categories, um, you know, potentially uh, in four uh, with runs, depending on what he gets. Let's take a look at folks who are going around where um, Ozuna is going. So, the hitters in front of him, uh, Lorenzo Cain at 66, uh, Miguel Andujar at 63, Tommy Pham at 60, JT Real Muto at 58. The guys going behind him, David Dahl at 70, Matt Carpenter at 71, Jesus Aguilar at 75, Mitch Haniger um, at 76, Gene Segura 78, Joey Votto 79. Um, in general, I think Osuna's Osuna's ADP here is all right. Um, you know, if I have a chance to take a guy like Tommy Pham, if he drops a little bit in my draft and I have a chance to get him there, I'm getting him there in a second. Same with Lorenzo Cain. The stolen bases are just too valuable. I think Andujar is an interesting um, uh, is an interesting comparison. You know, a lot of that will depend on where he ends up and whether what the playing time situation looks like uh, with the Yankees. But he's another guy with power. Uh, high batting average um, in a really nice lineup. I might like him a little more just because the lineup is better. Uh, Yankee Stadium um, is better, and I think the opportunity for growth for Andujar, um, given what he was able to do as a rookie, um, is intriguing enough. Uh, looking behind him, I'd probably take... Um, uh, well, no, I'd probably take him over Matt Carpenter. I think Carpenter, number one, I think there's just more injury concern uh, for me with Cat Carpenter heading into the season. Yes, he was healthy last year, but I think that was the best season that we are going to see uh, from Carpenter. Um, he is uh, 32, I think maybe going on 33, so he's older. He's got the shoulder issues, so we'll see what um, ends up happening there, but I do like Osuna uh, more than Carpenter. Um, but later on, I think uh, Mitch Haniger is a guy that I would take over Azuna. I think he's got similar potential in terms of batting average and power. Um, he's obviously not in as good of a lineup, but he's going to be batting in the heart of that that order. And I think his, you know, he had nine stolen bases last year. The potential for double digit stolen bases, especially on that team moving forward, and the potential that Haniger I think maybe gets traded uh, later on. Uh, this winter, I'm hoping to the Braves. I think that would be awesome. Uh, I would probably go with him. Need to dive into Aguilar um, a little bit more, um, but even Gene Segura and Joey Votto, I would probably take um, over uh, Ozuna, uh, just because even with Votto, right, you're worried about cons- your your major concern is home runs and his power. He had 12 home runs last year, but I would expect that to bump up um, a little bit after hitting 30 around 30 for three consecutive years before that. So even if he only gets up to that 20, I would take his batting average over Azuna's probably. With his OBP, I'd take the runs. And I think with the RBIs, 
the Reds lineup is going to be uh, a year older. Uh, they're going to have uh, some really high OBP guys, at least Jesse Winker, up at the top of that lineup, I would imagine. And so I'd probably take Avado in that situation. I think Segura's overall, you know, very consistent profile middle infield position gives him the the bump up. So you know, I might I might um, I might drop Ozuna a little bit um, in the rankings. I probably won't be taking him at sixty eight. I don't think that's a terrible position for him. I just think you can get some guys like maybe a Jose Abreu, um, you know, coming off an injury or an Eddie Rosario, a Justin Upton, guys who have done it um, consistently, who pro- probably provide a little bit more speed, maybe even a little bit more power. Um, so maybe I'm bumping uh, Ozuna a little bit back. Uh, I don't think he's a terrible pick, but I do like some guys going later better than I do um, Azuna, but he's going to be a really strong RBI contributor this year with a potential for a little bit of an increase in home runs if he can get that ground ball rate down and a really solid uh, batting average. In today's Reach Charles, I'm going to talk a little bit about the psychology of fantasy baseball. Uh, one of the reasons why I love fantasy baseball, and I was super jazzed thinking about this today, is just there's so many different elements that go into it, right? There's the player analysis piece. There's the roster management piece of who you sit, who you start in any given week or in any given day. There's so much strategy involved in that. And I also think there's such a huge psychological component when we play fantasy baseball. And one of the aspects that I've been thinking about with this is, and I think this happens to all of us as fantasy baseball players, is we get kind of seduced by the skills that particular players have. And after going over kind of Herman Marquez and John Gray in the last episode of the podcast, there was a really um, great discussion that happened on Twitter today. And it was kind of regarding Marquez and his value and then John Gray um, and talking about uh, some of those guys and what the expectations are, whether we trust guys in cores. And uh, there was just some really good you know, uh, information and data that was shared in that and some really interesting perspectives. And I think one thing that I've been really trying to eliminate is um, you know, I think we have this idea, and I'm more guilty of this than a lot of people because I really focus a lot on the skills. And when I talk about skills, I'm thinking like swinging strike rate, O swing, Z contact, um, you know, the, the plate discipline metrics that are kind of underlie, right? Like we know if somebody has a strong swinging strike rate, it's very likely that they have a strong, strong strikeout rate. So instead of looking at strikeout rate a lot, I'll oftentimes go to the swinging strike rate as kind of the base component of that. So a lot of times we focus on that aspect of it. And a lot of times we focus on, you know, uh, regression, right? So if, so if a pitcher has a high BABIP, we're expecting regression. I think John Gray is the typical, or not typical, but is like kind of a really um, good uh, uh example of this, right? Is everybody is expecting John Gray to be good, even though he's never really been good because they're expecting that Babbitt to regress. But we've seen that consistently his fastball gets knocked around and he just doesn't have a good fastball and the Babbitt's earned according to all the expected stats. But yet we continue to believe that John Gray is going to turn the corner and that he is somehow, you know, like everybody else going to regress. You know, and who knows, that could be the case over the longer term, and I could look really foolish um, you know, when you play this uh, in a year. But when we have guys that have consistent track records, right? We have John Grays, we have Chris Archers, and we continue, they continue their, their draft position, like Archers going around 130, which is a big drop from last year when he was going in like the mid-40s, I think. But he's now got like one year out of all the years that he's pitched where his BABIP hasn't been ridiculously um, 
high and where you know he's really hurt you in terms of ratios, ERA and WHIP. And so um, you know guys like this they seduce you with the skills, and I think psychologically we see them we see them failing on our teams. And we see them failing, but we want regression to happen. Psychologically, we want and we need regression to, hap- to happen because we see these guys, they've got these great skills, they're getting blown up, and you're just like, okay, I can't take him out of the lineup now because then I'm going to miss the regression, right? Because we're expecting the regression to happen. And so we leave them in longer, and they continue to destroy our ratios. And I think that's something that is super interesting to me is that is that psychology, right? And I had it last year with Nick Pavetta where Pavetta had these great skills at the beginning of the year and then he started to get hit around really hard. And then you look at his numbers and you're like, oh my God, this is pretty much, you know, uh, there's some growth for sure, but pretty much the fastball is the same as it was last year when he got knocked around and he has super high BABIP. You look at the expected BABIP, it's super high as well. It's supporting the really terrible BABIP, but you just want to keep him in there because you don't want to miss that one start where he hurls a gem and the regression starts. And so I would really caution you from even investing in the first place in some of these guys. Nick Pavetta, uh, Chris Archer, John Gray are the guys that are coming to mind. Last year I did this with Domingo Herman as well where he was getting hit around and I just thought that regression was coming because the skills are so good, but it never did. I would really caution folks from investing in those players at all because I think psychologically, it's like a, it's just a dangerous situation to be in um, because you desperately need and desperately want the regression to happen and you wait for it to happen because psychologically you're looking for that payoff of this investment you've made in them and it can really burn your team. And I think that's a lot of times the way that we lose. Now, sometimes you can't see it happening, right? Like with Luis Castillo last year. And that's going to happen. Even even Luis Severino in the second half of last year, these things are going to happen. But when you see guys consistently producing these really high Babbitts who are consistently getting uh, hit around really well, who consistently have either bad fastballs or, or lack a third pitch to be a, a really successful pitcher, I would say don't invest in those guys at all and be much more willing to watch them uh, beat uh, the reputation and the past uh, performance that we've seen than investing in them and having them, you know, if they perform like they have in the past, really ruining your ratios um, potentially for an entire season. So that's something it's, it's actually, I don't know if it's a reach Charles. I was just really excited and like about thinking about that concept um, today. And I think it's ones that that's helpful. I'm sure that it's got other, um, you know, uh, applications uh, when it comes to hitters too. Um, but, uh, you know, that's something that I was really interested in. I really enjoyed discussing it uh, with some folks on Twitter. So um, hope that that's helpful in terms of, you know, psychologically thinking about fantasy baseball. Um, what a fun game it is. Uh, love it. Um, and hope you, uh, hope you love it too. I know you do because you're listening to this podcast. That's Reach Charles. That is going to wrap us up for episode 45 of the Batflip Crazy podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we covered Luis Castillo, uh, interesting guy. That fastball, I think, is going to be key in figuring out what his value should be and what he'll return in 2019. Jeff McNeil, slightly overrated guy. Maybe it's a New York thing. Maybe it is the um, artificially high batting average that he has right now or just that really great 
contact skill set, whatever it is, I think he's going too high right now. And then Marcel Ozuna, maybe going a little bit too high, but don't necessarily mind um, investing in him. I'll probably shy away from him just because of the lack of speed or high-end power. Um, but I do like the batting average a lot more than I expected that I would. Um, so uh, those three guys were really interesting. Hope you enjoyed uh, the Reach Charles on the psychology of BABIP regression. Hope that made sense. Let me know what you think. Reach out to me on Twitter. Um, yeah, thank you guys uh, so much for listening. Uh, really appreciate it. On the next podcast, we will cover Michael Brantley, uh, Xander Bogarts, and Jose Quintana. Um, if you would like to choose other folks to be profiled, leave that rating and review, reach out to me, uh, let me know if you already have definitely connect with me on Twitter. Let me know that you have and which players you want me to highlight. Really appreciate that. All right. Best of luck with all of your fantasy baseball research. Uh, take care and be kind to one another.